This morning we're going to continue in Matthew chapter 18, but before we do that, if you'd turn over with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, and while you're turning there, I just want to mention the reason I want to read this passage of Scripture first is because uh, we're going to discuss this morning uh, probably everybody's favorite topic, and that's discipline. Um, none of us enjoy discipline at the time, uh, but discipline is necessary in our lives, especially, especially godly discipline, healthy discipline, uh, and through my life, uh, I can always point back to even though my parents were unbelievers, uh, that they held fast, that, that discipline was important. Uh, I would be held accountable for the things that I did and said uh, to my family members, to uh, other people, the things that happened at school. Uh, my parents never made excuses for me. They always held me accountable to those things, and I appreciate that. And so now as a Christian, uh, I can see the extreme importance of, of having that godly discipline in my life. Uh, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start with a situation that is going on because discipline was not important individually or corporately in the church at Corinth at that time. They were actually bragging about uh, the fact that um, bragging about the fact that they were doing well, but in, in fact, uh, their witness to the outside world uh, was completely opposite of what they were preaching and what God's Word says. So uh, here in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, <coughs> we're going to read uh, verses 15 through, uh, I'm sorry, not 15. Uh, we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 11, I believe here. He says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the leavened bread of sincerity, unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, idolater, or slanderer, or drunkard, or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Let's. Oh, what did I say? I'm sorry. Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You heard me read it, right? No. But uh, I read it right. I said it wrong. So let's, let, let's pray this morning. Lord, as we look at your word and, and we even read this passage of scripture this morning and as we look at Matthew chapter 18 and uh, we look at a situation in a church in Corinth that uh, was unwilling to do as we said last week and deal with radically with sin in their lives individually, it led to sin corporately and it, and it led to arrogance and pride corporately as well. Uh, and to a witness to the outside world that the gospel really doesn't change, that the gospel really doesn't matter. 
And Lord, help us as we continue through this passage to just turn our hearts to you and to know that uh, you are better than anything else. Because ultimately, what we say and what we do shows what we believe. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. So we are in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, verse, yeah, no, not second Matthew. Uh, but uh, Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. Uh, we're going to cover verses 15 through 35. Uh, and in the second part of that, verses 21 through 35, we're going to go through rather quickly. Just as a, just as a, a, a practical example, as Jesus teaches a parable uh, to the people he's speaking with. Uh, and, and to show how to live out what he's talked about uh, in the previous six, five or six verses here. Uh, so beginning in verse 15, uh, we're going to see um, who the, the, the exact audience that he's speaking to. Uh, because many times in our lives, as we, as we look at the, the people that we encounter uh, who, who, and the people that we live with are the ones that uh, we spend the most time with. Uh, and it's easy to be offended, Right. Uh, offenses uh, happen on a daily basis. And, and so I was curious when I looked this up, because is, is, some translations say offense, some say sin, some say stumble. Uh, but an offense is, is a breach of law or rule. This is by the dictionary. Uh, an annoyance or resentment brought on by a perceived insult or to disregard one standard or principle. Also, the action of attacking someone or something. And as we look in our world today, we could probably all agree that... Uh, being offended, allowing ourselves to be offended, uh, is probably America's favorite pastime. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11 teaches, a, wisdom, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. To overlook an offense is to take no notice of wrongs done against us. Uh, to refuse to retaliate, to seek, to, to seek revenge, or to just uh, let them go or to forgive. So first, in that, in, that past, in that proverb there, and if you're not um, reading through Proverbs this month, I'd encourage you to do it. Today is the 19th, and Proverbs chapter 19 was the one that had come up that, uh, as I was preparing for this, I think it's fitting. Uh, Chad's going through Proverbs, chap uh, Proverbs chapter by chapter this month, 31 chapters, 31 days. I'd encourage you to do that. There's much wisdom there. But, uh, uh, whatever, but, but you can do it in 31 days. See, that's why I love my wife, because she is quick to correct me, and I appreciate that. I need it. Uh, but anyway, in 31 chapters, do it in 31 days. But uh, anyway, in this proverb, chapter 19, uh, first we can see in the first half of the proverb that it focuses on self-control. Uh, our, our responses are to be reasonable, they're to be measured, uh, and we should increasingly grow in our ability to control ourselves when we're angry and overlook offenses uh, when we can. And then secondly, uh, we know that anger itself is not wrong. Uh, we, there, is a such, there is such thing as righteous anger, but how we express it and how we deal with it is where we can allow sin to creep in. And James chapter 1, it, say, it says in verses 19 and 20, that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And then third, the third part of that proverb, we see that uh, it can, God considers it glory to overlook an offense, to forgive somebody. Uh, in other words, overlooking a wrong done to, our, to ourselves uh, is a sign of maturity. It's a sign of grace. And it's a sign of living out what, what we believe the gospel 
has done for us, and that's forgive us of the very sins that we've committed. And so uh, overlooking an offense, it, it doesn't wipe away the fact that there was that, that justice needs to be served, and it will be served. It just doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we will turn a blind eye to sin or, pre- or pretend that it doesn't exist. It means that we're willing to forgive, especially when the offense directed towards us um, specifically. It means that we won't hold grudges. Uh, there are many insignificant things that could bother us, but by the grace of God, we, we don't just let them slide, but we overlook them. And there are four things, um, you know, that, uh, that, I, that I wrote down that are situations in which we require response, especially when the situation threatens uh, the fellowship of the church, as we see here in Matthew chapter 18. It's not the outside world. It's us as believers amongst one another. Um, and those four things are self-control, discipline, forgiveness, and accountability. And so today, uh, we're going to look at Matthew 18 now, finally. Uh, and let's read verses 15 through uh, 20. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth or whatever you, whatever you forbid or allow, right? Bind and loose, forbid and allow. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So uh, God, again, is the ultimate judge. But uh, part of our ministry and our responsibility as believers is to address sin uh, in the lives, first and foremost, of ourselves. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 is clear about that. And then to address sin uh, among other believers. Not that we're just... Uh, looking to try to figure out everything that somebody does wrong. But if there's a glaring sin, a public sin, uh, it needs to be addressed. Because sin left unchecked, as we read in 1 Corinthians, uh, will grow and it will affect everybody. See, a sin in my life doesn't just affect me. It affects my wife. It affects my children. It affects uh, this church body. It affects my ministry. It affects the, the, the way that I coach, the, the kids that I deal with there. It affects every aspect of my life. Uh, and sin within the church, when it becomes known outside the church uh, to the world, uh, and the witness we bear is one, is, if it is one that we lack discipline, and, and what we do and what we allow reveals, like I said earlier, ultimately what we believe. And so we at that point are living hypocritical lives because what we say doesn't match up with what we do. And so, as I mentioned earlier, I was disciplined, and I firmly believe in disciplining my children, holding them accountable to things. And we all discipline our children differently. Uh, some parents spank, some set in corners. Some, I'm not here to judge any of that, uh, to call any of that, uh, speak to that in any way. Uh, but there was a situation in my life where uh, I was at a grocery store. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface this story by saying this was before I was a believer. So my response to the lady is not the same response that I would have today. I'm just sharing this to, to let you know uh, the growth that's happened in my life. Uh, but, and the discipline that was necessary at the time. So as we were in there, as I was in the grocery store, I was a single father with my two kids and uh, I was in the grocery store. My son is running down the aisle and he's touching things and he's knocking them off the shelf. And I said, stop it. And he did it again. I said, stop it or I'm going to spank your butt. And the third time when he did it, 
he ran by and he grabbed something and knocked it off. And as he knocked it off, as he went by, I just swatted him on the butt and uh, he just kind of slid on his feet. And there was a lady in the aisle and she came up to me and she said, well, I never. And again, here was my response as an unbeliever at the time. I said, why do you want one too? <laughs> what, what, I what I would say today <laughs> is more along the lines of, uh, without that discipline in my son's life, without following through with what I said I was going to do, my son would be a menace and a nuisance to you in this grocery store, as he already was, right? And it would just escalate and it would grow from there. He would know that there, was no, there were no boundaries. He could just push and push and push and do whatever he wanted, and there was not going to be any consequences to those things. And so healthy discipline uh, is of utmost importance. And so, again, I thought you might enjoy that. She did not. So if you remember last week, as we talked about the Apostle Paul as well, the Apostle Paul was willing to, as he said, to beat his body, to do everything that was necessary to deal radically with the sin that, that he dealt with on a daily basis, his own sin, right? Uh, and as we read in 1 Corinthians 5, he was also willing to speak out against the sin that was going on within the church because it's not so much uh, our own personal testimony, which it is, but it's, it's ultimately about the testimony of God. Uh, that we would not in any way hinder who God is. And in the Old Testament, that's exactly what Moses was concerned with as he traveled with the people through the wilderness. He over and again was concerned with the way in which they were living their lives as, as God's chosen people, as the children of Israel walking through the wilderness, uh, what the other nations thought of who they were. And so uh, I hope this morning um, I've done an okay, decent job of pointing out uh, how this passage speaks to believers, living among believers, and dealing with sin among believers. Uh, there's a specific process here that it talks about and, and to be followed within the church. Uh, and, and, and it shares here what Jesus has to say about the matter. It, it doesn't matter what, how he says or what you guys think individually. Ultimately, what matters is what God says. And we should hold to that and we should live that out. Uh, we should follow this process that it's speaking about so that we don't end up in the situation like the church in Corinth was dealing with. And so uh, we see here multiple steps. Somebody would say, I've heard it preached several times, but people initially start off with saying, step one is that you would go individually to the brother or sister and, and point out their sin. Well, I would start back and say, I believe that, that this passage is saying that uh, step one really is recognizing if the sin that we identify is even worth pointing out at all. Like, there, there, there's a couple reasons for that. I mean, again, as I, saw, as I mentioned earlier, there are sins that happen against us that we are able to overlook, uh, to let slide in a sense, uh, because they uh, are really not a hill worth dying on. But there are sins that ultimately uh, do uh, raise to that level that they need to be addressed between uh, a brother and a sister, or a brother and a brother, or a brother and a sister, or whatever, how that works out, uh, whoever it is that has offended or sinned against you. And so... Uh, because uh, as we we need to be careful uh, again uh, to follow this, and and I think the other the other part of that why we need to look at and see uh, whether or not it's a sin that we need to address at that point in our lives is if we look back at Matthew chapter seven, uh, Matthew chapter seven uh, is Jesus speaking, and he says uh, these these words here about judging. He says, "Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others." you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured against you why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye 
How can you say to a brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So all that to say, we just really need to be careful the way in which we are dealing with sin, the way in which we are approaching the sin in other people's lives. And most importantly, are we dealing with sin in our own lives before we worry about dealing with the sin in others? Uh, we, deal, we, we have sin in our lives, right? We don't identify as sinners, uh, but as believers, as regenerate people in Christ, there is sin uh, that exists in our lives that we must deal with on a regular basis. And if we're dealing with those sins, we are now in a position uh, to point out sin in somebody else's life. But this week, it, it was uh, in a conversation that we had in our email group, uh, one of the things that in our men's study on that we do on Thursday nights at my house, uh, the guys that have come over, one of the things that became clear to me that I hadn't even thought about our process uh, in, initially in preparing for this was that when we address sin in somebody else's life, we cannot uh, approach that and, and make the grave mistake of assuming uh, that people are not broken over their own sin uh, when we notice sin in their life. They may be struggling with it. They may recognize it and realize it, and they're struggling with it. And they understand, uh, but we need to approach that with grace and with mercy and, and understanding that, um, that if they do recognize it, that's what it says here, is a wonderful thing. It, 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 it may be still important and necessary for us to go point that sin out, uh, but approach that in a sense to know that, hey, maybe they're already in some way dealing with that and trying to rectify and to move away from the sin in their own lives. So let's be careful when we approach and approach sin in, in the lives of others because we definitely do not know specifically what uh, others are, are actually going through. And so uh, in Matthew chapter 7, as you look at that, rather than to say don't judge, I would say as Pastor Mark, repeat what Pastor Mark said several weeks ago as he preached through that passage. He didn't say, he said it should probably be better, it would be better understood if we said don't be so critical. Step two, uh, we are to go ourselves individually to the person that has sinned against us when we recognize that sin in their life. Uh, and it says here specifically to point out their fault. And I think this is probably one of the greatest breakdowns uh, in this process of church discipline, of, ju of just discipline and accountability uh, between brothers and sisters in Christ, is that we like to go talk about it. We like to stew on it. We like to uh, not deal with the act with the issue, but we like to create all of this discussion and uh, you know debate and, and behind their back and, and and talk with other people about it. Uh, I, I I've seen it happen many a times. Uh, there have been people that have come to me uh, at the previous church I was at, and they're like, "Hey, can you believe that this is going on?" And my first my first question to them is, "Have you talked with them about the issue?" Of course, they say no. And then I said, then we can't talk about it. I tell them, you must, discuss, you must go and discuss it with them first. And then if that doesn't resolve the situation, if, that does, if you don't feel like there's a resolve in that or they don't acknowledge their sin, then the next step is I can go with you or a few of us can go with you and we can discuss that. Um, but many times uh, the problem is that we play it out in our own head because of past situations uh, in our own lives. We think that we know what the outcome is going to be. It's not worth our effort. Uh, that it's, um, you know, and again, all of that is a lie from the deceiver. And, and far too often we want to just end the relationship or end uh, the situation or just kick the can down the road, one of the two opposite ends of the spectrum. And so uh, they, they want to, most times, 
Um, people just want to skip the steps of the process of acknowledging sin, repenting of sin, and, and seeking restoration and redemption of the relationship. Because ultimately, that's what it's all about. That's what we talked about last week in the parable of the wandering sheep. And that's what we're going to talk about in the parable of the unmerciful servant here. Is that ultimately the, the result that we're desiring is that there is a restored relationship, redemption. There's forgiveness, right? Um, and so uh, it, it would have been easy in the, the parable of the wandering sheep for the, the, the shepherd to just let the sheep go. Hey, it got what it deserved, right? Or just... Uh, we don't need it here necessarily anymore. It's only one out of 99. Uh, maybe even we have the attitude that we're better off without it. Uh, but that's not the case. God's word uh, tells us that we must make the effort. It doesn't mean that a person is, is necessarily going to be willing to respond positively to what we deal with or what we address. But that doesn't release us from our responsibility to go and do what God's word tells us to do. And so if that single, if, if that person, if I go speak to somebody and say, hey, this is a sin that, that you have sinned against me. Um, and they're just like, nope, I don't know what you're talking about. You're wrong. Uh, I'm not going to, they're, they're just unwilling to hear anything you say. Then that's where we see here in Matthew 18, we need to go to step three, to take others with us. And again, we must be very careful when we do that. Um, it's not to just go gang up on a person. It's not that um, you know, we have this discussion with this other group of people ahead of time so that we can go in and we can, everybody have already made up their mind about this person and what's going on. The witness that we take must be of what scripture talks about, uh, having noble character. Uh, it's a declaration that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, where one witness is not enough to convict, but also in verse 16, it states that the witness must not be malicious, spiteful, uh, or willing to give false testimony uh, because the one who does those things, as we'll see in the parable of the merciful, unmerciful servant, uh, the person that does give false witness, the person that is unwilling to forgive, actually is going to receive the penalty uh, that the accused person would have received. And so we must be careful not to take with us uh, those who've merely heard our side of the story or somebody we feel is going to take our side, uh, but they're, they're willing to address and approach the situation with godly wisdom. And then... Uh, again, if that doesn't even work out, then we go on to step four, and that's to tell the church. And to, to tell the church doesn't translate to come and tell the pastor. It is literally to tell the church, the body of believers, uh, those within the local context of the church, that, that you, church, would deal with the sin that's going on in somebody's life. Not just me or not just the elders, uh, but all of us. Um, we are to, to be responsible to speak truth into the life of the person uh, the sin and the unwilling per, uh, person uh, to acknowledge their fault. And if they do, if any point of these steps, uh, the person says, hey, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, you know, forgive me, the, the process ends. It doesn't go any further. We don't go one-on-one -on -one and they say, yep, I made that mistake, I'm sorry. Then we don't go and discuss it with other people and bring other people in and, and escalate the situation. It, it, we're, we're done with it at that point. Uh, but the process here in Matthew chapter 18 doesn't stop there if that person still when the church addresses it is unwilling uh, to admit their fault and seek redemption uh, step five here it says is to treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector and I think again here's <clears throat> where many churches have gone uh, wrong and the fact that they they look at this as a way to say okay we're just going to kick them out excommunicate they're shunned they're gone we want nothing to do with them oh, that's not the way that we look at this 
many would translate the verse to, to say that, but uh, let's remember uh, this in context. And, 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 and context is key. And the Bible as a whole is our reference. Uh, we also know that uh, Jesus said his kingdom was radically different than the worldly one. So the things that the world does are not the way in which we as the church would operate. We know what the Pharisees would have done. Uh, they would have treated them uh, by their own rules that they made up. And uh, they, would have, they would have kicked them aside. They would have nothing to do with them. Uh, but, but what does Jesus mean here? And again, between these two passages of Scripture, between these two parables here, uh, we see that uh, in the wandering sheep and the unmerciful servant, uh, to, to treat somebody as a pagan or tax collector as Jesus treated them uh, meant to have compassion, to have mercy, but also calling them to repentance and then finally willing to forgive them uh, if they're willing to ask for it. That's, that's the ultimate goal there. And so to flesh that out, Jesus specifically uh, shares this parable of the unmerciful servant uh, to show them practically uh, what this looks like. Because I don't know about you, but I, 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 need, I need a storybook. I wish the Bible sometimes had some pop-up pages uh, to help me understand and see. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. He's specifically giving them a real-life situation, something that they could relate to. And in verses 21 through 35, he says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? So he wants a limit on it, on the forgiveness. Jesus hasn't placed a limit on our forgiveness, has he, church? He's willing to forgive when we're willing to admit and to repent and lay uh, the things that we struggle with at, at his feet at the foot of the cross. And so Peter, again, uh, as we've seen the disciples do over and again, he asks the wrong questions. He has the wrong thought process in what he's, in what he's looking at. Uh, he, he wants to know specifically, well, is there a time where I give up on somebody? And Jesus answers, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, or actually translated 70 times seven, 490 times. Did I get my math right? But 490 times. If you've forgiven somebody 490 times, you're going to lose track. That's the point. It's, it's, an, it's, an over, it's an exaggeration. If you're willing, if you're somebody that's willing to forgive, not to just forgive and allow yourself to constantly be hurt and and uh, deal with difficulties in your life because of the sin that somebody's committing against you. Uh, but if somebody is willing to, for, to, to admit their fault and then they sin again and you have to dress it again, guess what? Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And that's what he's saying here. The, these, this step process that we saw in the first few verses here, in verses 15 through 20, no matter how many times you have to do it, maybe the first time you went step, steps one through three and there was repentance. And then the next time, steps one, step one did it. And then the next time, took four steps. And then the next time, uh, maybe all the steps were followed. And then the person came back and said, um, I, want, I want to be forgiven again after they've been treated as a pagan or tax collector. And I didn't really address that so much. Uh, but what it's saying is that we must treat people as a pagan or tax collector in the sense that what did Jesus do to the tax collector? He went to the booth and he called him to repentance. He preached the gospel to him. If somebody is unwilling to repent over and over and over, and no matter if all of these steps have been taken, and then you have to treat them as though you would a pagan or tax collector, it was almost what he's, it's what he's saying is we would treat them as an unbeliever and we would still pursue them. We would still go after them like they're the one sheep, the one that got away, because because we don't want that. We want to pursue. We want to go after. We want to present the gospel. We want to be merciful. We want to be forgiving. That's 
what he's saying here. 70 times 7, verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to settle the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And I saw a lot of translations on what that, the amount of money that that would be equivalent to today. Uh, but one of the probably middle of the ground uh, was for an, an average day wage laborer, that would be equivalent of about 20 years worth of work. So this man owed him 20 years worth of work. What he was doing was he was cheating him. He was stealing from him. Uh, and he called him to account for it. So imagine you owed somebody 20 years worth of salary. Would you ever be able to repay that? No. And that's the point. Because of our sin, we're unwilling to pay the debt. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So as he comes, and he owes this man 20 years worth of salary roughly, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. A clear picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The debt that we can't repay because of our sin that has separated us from a holy God Jesus Christ has come and he's, he's lived a sinless life. He willingly went to the cross and died in our place uh, so that we could have life. And if we are willing to repent and believe in him and call out to him, he's willing to forgive us. And that's exactly what happens here. The master forgives the servant, the one who's cheated him and owes him 20 years worth of salary. Verse 28, but when the servant went out, he found out his fellow servants who owed him 100, 100 silver coins. And so... A hundred silver coins was um, nowhere near 20 years uh, worth of uh, pay. It was, more, <clears throat> it was more like a half a year's worth of pay. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. The exact response that the first servant had when he was called to account in front of the master Exact same response, but we're going to see a different response uh, to the repentance. It says, but he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Unwilling to forgive, unwilling to even give the opportunity to pay it back. A, a debt that, was, that had the ability to be paid back, yet he was unwilling to allow him to give him any time to do it. But when he went to be accounted for a debt that there was no way he could pay back, he was given mercy. Two completely different responses. Two completely different ways we can look at when people, when other believers sin against us, how do we respond to that? But also we could take that to the next step and say, outside of this passage of scripture, how do we respond to people outside the church and the way they treat us? Do we treat them the same way? Do we, are we harsh with them? Do we reveal what the gospel really means in our life? What the forgiveness that we have had? 
Are we generous? Are we forgiving? Uh, we should be the most generous, the most forgiving people ever because God has forgiven us of a debt that we can't repay. But we're too many times unwilling to pass that on. And then Jesus in the, here in verse 35 says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. What he's saying here is if, if you're unwilling to, to live as though uh, you have been made new, been redeemed, uh, you're not showing that you've been redeemed. Uh, those who have been redeemed will be, will live these things out. Not, again, not that we won't make mistakes because we will, but what it all means is um, all of this points to the fact that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, every single one of us is guilty of sin. God has pointed out our sins individually. He's pointed out our sins corporately. God sent his messengers, the prophets in the Old Testament, uh, to declare our sin, to call us to repentance, and he has sought out to restore our relationship with him over and over and over again. Way more than 70 times seven, church. Way more. God sent his son, ultimately, uh, with his messenger before him, John the Baptist, to call the people to repentance, to understand that uh, there was a need for repentance in their life. And then, he would, and then John the Baptist's message was, the one coming after me, the one whose sandals that I can't fill, he's the one, he's the Messiah. So all of the messengers that God sent initially that we rejected, and then God sends his son, who continues to be rejected by most, accepted by some. Jesus is the perfect witness who willingly received the penalty that was due to every one of us uh, for our sin the sin that we on our own could not and cannot and will never be able to account for. Jesus has forgiven you. He's forgiven me. And if we listen to him, repent of our sin and believe in him, because one day, as we read this passage of scripture, one day every one of us will give an account. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27 tells us that just as people are destined to die once, after that to face judgment, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. It says here, verse 35, the natural overflow of our heart is of what Christ has done for us and in us. And that will be that we should do the same for our other brothers and sisters in Christ. That we should do no matter what level of involvement we need to take in these situations with this discipline, uh, a dealing with sin personally and corporately, no matter what it is, that we should have the same attitude of Christ, as Christ Jesus. And so here this morning, as we, as we wrap this, this up, uh, we know that all of us have sinned against one another. Uh, if we recognize that we've sinned against one another, uh, in, our own, in our own hearts, if we recognize that sin, we should go to that person and apologize for it. If we recognize sin in, in another's life, another believer, we need to point that out. And then take these steps necessary so that church, we don't end up like that church in Corinth. So that we don't end up like other churches that we see on the news and on social media uh, and at rallies and all of that, mistreating, hate, hating on people, uh, treating them as though uh, they are less than human, unwilling to forgive them of their sin. Uh, church, let's not be like that. As believers in Christ, again, let's be the most generous and the most forgiving people ever. But at the same time, to have righteous anger towards sin because sin left unchecked will continue to grow 
and it will continue to affect every single one of us, not just ourselves. And so if you're here this morning and you have unrepentant sin in your life, I urge you to repent of that, to deal with that uh, with the one you've sinned against. If you have sin, if you've noticed sin from somebody else in your life, go deal with that. Uh, take the steps necessary to do it. But as I mentioned earlier in Romans, in Romans chapter 6, when it talks about sin, uh, that the wages of that sin is death. But it, thankfully, that verse doesn't stop right there because it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I hope that this morning you know Christ as your Savior. If not, today can be that day. This moment can be that moment. If you just, as Romans 10, 13 says, call on the name of the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. Verses 9 and 10 talk about believing in our heart and trusting and confessing with our mouth. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you're justified, you're made right, you're redeemed. And I hope that that's every one of us here this morning. But if not, uh, you can come, and I would love to have a conversation with you this morning. Any of our elders would. All of our phone numbers are in the bulletin. Uh, just reach out to us, text, call us. Uh, we'd love to meet with you. Uh, if you have a prayer request uh, in our bulletins, and uh, there are, there's a space for prayer requests, there's a card in the back of your pew. Fill those out. Drop them in the tithes and offerings box, and we would know how we can be in prayer for you. Uh, maybe you have been a believer, and as this last week, uh, as Casey recognized that the step of obedience of baptism is not, what, is not a step she'd taken, and uh, she was baptized on Tuesday night. If that's you, here's water. What hinders you from being baptized? We left the baptistry up in case somebody decided this morning, hey, I want to be baptized. We could do that right now at the, at the conclusion of the service. Just come forward as we sing this last song and, and let us know. If you just need prayer, let us know. But ultimately, if God is calling, don't turn your ear, your eye, or your heart from him. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we conclude, Lord, we know that our worship will continue when we leave this place. Lord, we know that the way in which we live our lives matters. You're, you tell us in Ephesians to walk worthy of the gospel. Uh, you tell us throughout Scripture to do so. As your chosen people, as a royal priesthood, your special possession, we are called out of darkness into your wonderful light so we may declare the praises of you who did these things for us. And Lord, help us to live as those who are redeemed, uh, to seek those who are not redeemed, to seek to repair broken relationships, to seek uh, to have a right relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, draw us closer and closer to you. We thank you for your love. In your mighty name we pray, amen.